Well, good morning. And uh, it's great to sing together to the Lord, isn't it? Good stuff. Um, bear with me this morning. I married my second son yesterday. So, been a lot of emotions flowing. And uh, I'm about flowed out. So, uh, we're going to try to pick it up and, uh, and be focused this morning. We, uh, we are taking a break from Isaiah. We've talked through the first 39 chapters of, uh, chapters of Isaiah. And we're taking a five-week break. Started with Monty last week on Easter Sunday. To talk about something very important in the church. And it's called genuine life change. Uh, from the heart. From the inside out. And we're calling this five-week series The Path of Life. And today is the second uh, uh, sermon in that five-week series. So very glad you're here this morning. Um, <clears throat> a tragedy took place this past week. A man by the name of Aaron Hernandez, all-pro tight end for the New England Patriots, most of you probably read about or heard about, committed suicide. He had been convicted of murder and was serving a lifetime sentence. Aaron Hernandez said this as a New England Patriot, as a member of the Patriots. He said, when I came here, I might have acted the way I wanted to act, but you get changed by the Patriot way. When I read that, in light of his tragic death, I thought, no, you don't. You don't get changed by the Patriot way or any other way. There's really one way that a person gets changed from the inside out. Legitimate, genuine life change. And it starts with what Monty said last week. Through the resurrection, that the Lord Jesus Christ is alive and he comes to indwell via his spirit in the hearts of his people. That is the starting place. And then what we see in the New Testament is that the New Testament calls us overwhelmingly to a lifetime of change. And that's why one of our values here at Fellowship is life change is a way of life, and I'll add, for the rest of your life. The invitation to enter into another world and another life onto the path of life leaps and screams from the pages of Scripture to God's people. I want to say to you, if you get nothing else from this sermon this morning, I want to say to you, and I say to myself, this is a good word for mine and your soul, you do not have to stay the same. Change is possible. And sometimes in the midst of my very real struggle with me, I need to be reminded, you don't have to stay the same. I need those words. The invitation to life change, as it says in your notes, and I gave you some scriptures. I'll read through those this morning. It's overwhelming. John 4, 14 says, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, Jesus speaking, will never be thirsty again. Meaning, the person that knows Christ receives a living water, the Spirit of God himself, so they are not driven and ruled by desires that never satisfy. That's a promise from Christ. Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think to bring that real life change according to the power at work in us. This invitation of life change in 1 Peter 1. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former, former ignorance before you knew Christ. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, knowing you were ransomed from your futile ways, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Again, Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, Therefore, put all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander, Put it away because you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We don't celebrate the color of our skin. We celebrate this race, that we're God's people. I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul because once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. There's the motivation. Philippians 2. Paul writes again. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among who, whom you shine as lights in the world. Philippians 4, finally brothers, whatever is true, this is the call, the invitation. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And then I think a very classic text in Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is from the message. It puts it very practically, very earthy for us. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life. I love this. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. That's a great line for us. Instead, fix your attention on God, who'll be changed. <laughs> on God, you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize that he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. What a great invitation to all of us who know Christ. So the invitation for life change is clear. I literally could read the verses for the full 35 minutes that I have here. And we still wouldn't run out of this invitation and call to life change. But the need for life change is also clear. Our sinful condition in Genesis 3 would not be so horrifying if we were not so significant. Now you may shake your head and go, what do you mean? 
I mean you and I are the only things in the world that God created that are made in his very image. Our sin does not make us worthless. Our sin makes us lost. So when we walk in the path of our lostness, instead of the path of life, we know that God is not only not glorified, but we as humans do not flourish. Most of us have tried it enough to know. We become self-obsessed, delusional, duplicit, destructive to ourselves and others, slaves to our appetites. We want what we want, when we want it. Life revolves around our own peace and comfort, which colors everything we do, say, or think. John Calvin put it this way. He said, the surest source of destruction to men is to obey themselves. Each man is a God unto himself. So, what is the result? What are the symptoms or implications of being a God unto yourself. Ready? Look at your outline. That's the need for change. And I'm going to put these on the screen. I want to give you two minutes to look at a list of sins that I have laid out there. They are, they are the symptoms, symptoms of our sinfulness. They and here's the deal with our sin. This is not an exhausting list, by the way. It was exhausting to go through for me. Because self-examination of the heart is painful. But it's so good. And if we generalize our sin, we might as well be justifying our sin. We must be very specific. So I want to give you a couple minutes here to look at this list. And I want you to circle you. How about that for an assignment? <laughs> Welcome to church. This is good. It is needed. If you don't have an outline, look at the list and take a minute to be very specific in your healthy, biblical, and good, but painful self-examination. Do not circle for your spouse.
Okay, you can finish this maybe later if you have more to circle. Just reading that list and seeing myself embedded in the list on more than one occasion this week, I thought, I need to change. There's a great need, is there not? Yeah. Now I want you to go a second step today when you get home. If you are married, I want you to go to your spouse at some point this week and I want you to say to them, please tell me about me on the list. And listen. And don't say a word. Don't argue. Don't defend. For years, Jenna tried to tell me things about me that I refused to listen to. And for years, I tried to tell her things about her that she refused to listen to. We missed out early in our marriage on a great opportunity to begin to identify some of the needs and areas of change. Do you feel that? Yeah. Have that conversation. If you're not married, grab a friend and say, friend, how do you really experience me? Great stuff. So in light of the invitation, this is very clear and overwhelming, and then the need that may be certainly as clear and maybe more overwhelming for life change, I ask this question, does anyone here think that God only wants to enable us to make the eternal cut when we die? Is that what knowing Jesus is about? The answer? Thank you. Or do we really believe that if we are only enabled to do what we want and have what we want, we will really be happy with more propensity to sin less? No. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, our faith is not a matter of our hearing what Christ said long ago and trying to carry it out. Rather, the real Son of God lives in you. He is trying to turn you into the same kind of thing as himself. He is wanting to inject his kind of life and thought, his life into you, to turn the tin soldier into a live man. And I love this part. The part of you that does not like it is the part that is still tin. So, I introduced to you this morning this concept, if you would, of spiritual formation or spiritual transformation. It means spiritual formation in Christ is the process by which one moves and is moved from self-worship to Christ-centered self-denial as a general way of life in God's present internal kingdom. Generally speaking, that's the transformation that we're speaking of. That's another way to define genuine life change. Monty said last week, it is death, burial, and resurrection a million times until we die once we come to Christ. Death in the sense of we die to ourself. Burial in the sense that we're always putting off old things. And resurrection, we're always putting on what? New things. And when, how does that happen? Every, just, it, it's, it is the Christian life. That's how life change takes place. So the question for us this morning is, how do we move from a life of self-adulation to one of self-denial? How does real spiritual change from the inside out take place? 
And how does it happen when we cannot even see the true condition of our inner life? Folks, you and I know that if God was so unmerciful to allow us to see the depths of totality of our sin, it would make us all insane in a moment. He doesn't. He layers it by layer it in his kindness. Peeling an onion, peeling our hearts. So how does this inner transformation of what we desire, love, want, and hate take place? Key question, how do we avoid changing our behavior only without changing the why behind the behavior? It's not behavior modification. It is simply, if I had a brain tumor and I had the symptoms of a headache, I could take medicine to heal the symptoms of the headache, but I still got a what? Brain tumor. <laughs> That's the bigger problem here. And so to do that, I have uh, barred some, some great teaching from a great book by the, guy, by the guy by the name of Dallas Willard. These next three points come from his book, Renovation of the Heart. I would highly suggest that book. And so we're going to look at this morning after the invitation and the great need, a reliable pattern of life change. And it's called VIM, V-I-M. It comes from the Latin term vis, meaning direction, strength, force, vigor, and power. And these are Willis's terms. This is the pattern to really all life change. And once we go through it, I think you'll see that. It is a path in which we can truly be empowered in the Lord and the strength of his might. If we are formed in sin, Christ's resurrection says we can really be transformed in Christ. I'm saying it again, we don't have to stay the same. So the first is the vision of life in the kingdom of God. The vision of life in the kingdom of God, which stands for the V. The vision of life here, what it means, it's on the screen. The vision of life now and forever in the range of God's effective will. Partaking of the divine nature of God himself through a rebirth from above. That's when we come to Christ. And participating by our actions in what God is doing now in our lifetime on earth. Here's would be a couple of verses that would describe this vision. Paul writes in Colossians 3, 1 through 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, if you know Christ, you have. Seek the things that are above. There's the vision. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's a vision statement by the Apostle Paul. Then again he writes in verse 17 of chapter 3. And whatever you do, in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does everything mean? Yeah, he's calling for this vision to reorient all of life. There's no secular and sacred split. He's saying all of it right here. Word or deed in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's why we pray in the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will 
be done on earth as it is in heaven. This vision that Willard uses the word really started with Jesus. He came preaching and teaching what? Repent. The kingdom of God is at what? Hand. Luke 4 tells us that this was the very purpose that he came for the kingdom of God. So let's make it practically. Can we put some practical? Can we put some flesh on it? This is what it means. 1 Corinthians 6. You are not your own. The words my, mine, are done. My time, my things, my money, my house. I understand you own them legally. But I'm saying nothing is yours anymore. <laughs> it's gone forever. We never clock out on Christ. Everything counts. Every tweet, every post, every batch of laundry, every diaper change, every conversation, every job, your social life, sexual, mind, body, emotional, sports, keep naming them. Everything counts. Everything is to be reoriented under the kingship of Christ in his kingdom. And the reason is Christ has bought you with his very blood. He's paid a price for you. You are not your own. How much do I need to hear and be reminded of that? Because my natural propensity and yours too is to make life about me. It's as natural as blinking and breathing. I don't see it. I don't recognize it. And it's happening. <clears throat> this vision is the meaning of your life as a Christian. Pursuing this vision of God's glory is the only way that you and I will find joy. Everything else ends horribly, honestly. That's why Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake, for my kingdom, will actually find it. Now here's the opposite view. Let me do a contrast and compare if I could this morning. So that's what the vision Christ calls us to. John Piper gives us the opposite of that. He, he tells the story of a rich couple who moved to a place called Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler. They play softball and collect shells. He says, picture them before Christ at their death. Look, Lord, see my shells? That's a tragedy. There's only two things, folks. You're going to live for the here and now. Are you going to live for this grand vision where your life is Christ's life? Only two options. There's no in-between. It's all about the wedding, I'm sure. <laughs> From a young Christian as, as messed up, as messed up as I have been and things I have done, I'm telling you, I do not want to say, Lord, see my shells. No way, no how. Vision answers this question. 
Why do I exist as a Christian? Why do I exist? We put it this way at our church, this mission, to cultivate connected followers of Christ. Another way to say that is to cultivate Christians with this kind of vision. That's what we're trying to stir up in you and in us. To live with this grand vision that really colors everything you do. I want to say this very specifically. Surrendering to this vision for your life is never risky. What's risky is buying into the delusion that your life belongs to you and you can live it as you wish. That's risky. Because there's no guarantee that one day you'll see clearly and come back to this vision. So, the vision of life in the kingdom through reliance upon Christ makes it possible now for the second, the I in them, makes it possible for us to intend or be intentional about living in and for the kingdom of God as Jesus did. Intentionality or intention. So the tension to be a kingdom person would be uh, defined like this. To decide to live in the kingdom of God by intending to obey all that Jesus did and taught. This is what biblical trust in Jesus looks like. Biblical trust, and we need to hear this in the South, is more than just believing things about Jesus. However true they may be. You can put this in your notes. The second point, this I in them intention is really also can be called about the integrity of our hearts. Only God knows what we really desire and want. So the idea that a person can be, can say he is trusting in Christ functionally and yet does not in his heart intend to obey him is an illusion that is created by cultural Christianity, folks. If I told you my doctor told me to take the drug meloxicam for my arthritic knees, which he has, and I told you I thought he was correct in giving me that drug because my knees do hurt, and that I believed that his advice was right. And yet I did not take the drug meloxicam for my knees. Would you say that I am trusting in my doctor? Hello? No. That's how we treat Jesus sometimes. Right? We need to understand that a genuine intention... And its following decision can only be formed and followed through based on a forceful vision. That's the driving factor. Our intentions come from how grand the vision is. And the vision is pretty grand. It's all-encompassing. When we lose sight of the vision, our intentionality fails or falls to the wayside. But a person with a clear vision of the kingdom of God to see themselves standing in life and before God as people who desire to not say one thing and do another. To not live with unintegrity, if you would have it. Here's how Ray Orland puts it. This is key. 
Only by living today with an eye to eternity can our integrity be sustainable long term. That's why you see Christians who walk with God for a few years and then fall off the cliff. They've lost the vision of what life is, what meaning and purpose is for them as a believer. And you lose that, Ray Ortland adds, this present evil age will wear you down. Verses that speak to that would be Proverbs 11.3. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. They have not intended, the vision is lost, and the intentionality or their intentions have waned because of it. Hebrews 13.8 says, pray for us. We are sure... That we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. Ephesians 6.6 6, Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart that is driven by the what? Vision. Daniel 1. But Daniel resolved. Daniel intended, Daniel was intentional that he would not defy himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank because he saw God clearly, the vision that God had laid out for his life. I want you to know this is not self-will, this is not trying hard in the flesh, this is simply this intentionality, this intention is what is the desire of your heart. Do you really want to obey Christ? Is that your intention? Do you really intend to obey Christ? And if so, it must be grounded in the grand and great vision of your life that Scripture gives you. If not, you're playing games with God. You're a pretender and he knows. He knows you're playing with him. Dallas Willard, in his book, Renovation of the Heart, says there's three things that block or hinder our intentionality. Secrets, duplicity, saying one thing, doing another. And folks, that's so normal. I'm not justified. And I'm saying when we come to Christ, we're about as split as we can come. But over time, God wants to genuinely bring life change so that our what we do matches what we say. That's what growth looks like. Secondly, he says, the approval of others over God to be men pleasers undermines or undercuts intentionality. And a third, which I thought was interesting but true, in the desire to find security, your security, through material wealth. That will cut the vision quickly. You can't live for the grand vision of God when you're trying to find security in your money. So in Jesus' invitation to us to be transformed into his likeness, it is the heart that matters. And when he knows he has our hearts, meaning he knows what we want. Lord, I don't want to stay the same. Lord, I want to change. Lord, I admit I need change. Lord, I want to obey you, but yet I don't. When he knows he has our heart, something takes place. This next step is able to be implemented. And the next step is 
the means to the kingdom person. The means. So now the vision of the kingdom of God and the solid intention to obey Christ will naturally lead us to seeking the implication or the means of spiritual transformation. And here's what that means. The means to become a kingdom person. The rich resources of the spiritual disciplines that are available to us from the teachings of Jesus, the scriptures, and the people of God. The means. So here's, here's the deal. God calls us to be in hot pursuit. Write that in your word. That's a great way to define what God is calling us to through the means. To be in hot pursuit of godliness. Of Christ likeness. To meet with God through the practicing of the spiritual disciplines. Out of a heart of gratitude for rebirthing us <laughs> when we were dead he quickened us and rebirthed us and allowing us to see the vision that we just spoke of that my life it really is more than living Monday through Friday living for the weekends and acquiring things matter of fact the first thing that goes when our hearts drift from the Lord is gratitude. And when gratitude goes, any kind of sin is possible. Paul writes in Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. There's the downfall. Gratitude gone. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So, these spiritual means, these spiritual disciplines, the means to change. God's intended means are, and I listed some there in your notes, Bible intake, prayer, worship, evangelism, serving, stewardship, fasting, Silence and solitude, journaling. Some of your, mom, your moms and young kids are going, silence and solitude? <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> you know, get the leash out, tie the kid up. Sorry, kid, I'll be back in an hour. I got to do some silence and solitude. Journaling, learning, community, accountability, simplicity, sacrifice, celebration. Oh, look, I, I, I want to give a ca caveat here. Just example, Bible intake. I can read all the Bible in the world, but I've got to come to it with a posture to put myself under it, to put on the lens of the gospel as I'm meeting with the living God through his living word. That's when change takes place. That's one of those means. Now, I want to suggest a book. I put it on your notes. It's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. He's one of my seminary profs at Trinity. It is, it is, a, it is a great read that helps you talk about what does it look like to apply those spiritual disciplines to your life to live those out. So, I want to ask this morning, who really wants to change and need to change? Raise your hand. Okay. Right here. First hand I saw right there. I'm going to give you this book. Can you hand that to her, John? How about that? Now, you don't need to change more than John. 
but you really want to change. So that's why you're getting it, okay? So, but I want to encourage you to, to order that book, $9.37 on Amazon, and because I don't have time to teach each of these spiritual disciplines. Monty won't let me, okay? <laughs> but, but look, look, here... This next passage, 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 10, is where this means comes from. Paul writes, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. You know what he's saying? Practically speaking, he's saying have nothing to do with the, what the world tells you is the vision for life. <laughs> All the things they tell you that make you something, affirmation, selfies, fame, money, power, have nothing to do with that foolishness, Paul writes. Rather, train or discipline, and that word actually is the word we get our word gymnasium from. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Put another way, rather, put your workout clothes on and go to the spiritual gym to do what? To practice the disciplines. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive. Do you hear the implementation of the means? <laughs> it is hard work. But there's an intention here. Our hearts are right. We have the grand vision. We have a, a sincere integrity intention. And now we put the work in. Because, Paul says, here's the vision. We have our hope set on the living God. <laughs> That's the vision of life for a Christian who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Now I say this, one main reason many fail to discipline themselves for the purpose of godliness is because discipline without direction is drudgery. Say amen to that. So, why practice a skill in a sport if you're never going to play in the game or want to play at the next level? Amen. Why learn the keys on the piano if you're never going to play a song? Why learn a language? Who wants to learn a language? Can you say Hebrew or Greek? If you're never going to use it, it's going to be helpful to you in some kind of service to others. But there's no drudgery for us as a Christ follower. We can discipline ourselves with the purpose of godliness because of the grand vision that God gives us for our life. To live for him, for his kingdom, for his purposes, to be conformed, the great need. You're talking about something that drives us to practice the spiritual disciplines, our need for change. The spiritual disciplines are the God-given means we are to use in the spirit-filled pursuit of godliness. Spiritually mature people are a disciplined people. I've never met a mature Christian who was not disciplined in their practicing of the means of spiritual disciplines. Never. Doesn't happen by osmosis. Can't put your Bible under the pillow and it come through. I wish it could. I'd be very mature. 
God uses three primary catalysts for changing us and conforming us into his image. But only one of these are in, under our control. He uses people, both our friends and our enemies. We're going to talk about that, I think, next week in terms of community. Secondly, he uses circumstances, does he not? Suffering stimulates our maturity. Prosperity and how we respond to it stimulates our maturity. But thirdly, he uses spiritual disciplines. The only catalyst for change that's in our control. When God changes us with people and circumstances, he's working from the outside in. When he changes us from the spiritual disciplines, he's working from the inside out. And over time, as we place ourselves under or place ourselves in the path of God's appointed grace of the disciplines, we will be transformed by him. I'll end with this. Tom Landry, the legendary Hall of Fame coach of the NFL, the Dallas Cowboys, who I grew up watching, he puts it this way. He says, the job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they're always wanted to be. Spiritually speaking, Christians are called to make themselves to do something they would not naturally do. To pursue godliness through the spiritual disciplines in order to become what they've always wanted to become. Mature, Christ-like followers of Jesus. So, I encourage you this morning to ask the question, so what? So what? Where are you? Like, do you see the vision? Do you see the need? Are you playing games with God? Is there real intentionality? Lord, I don't want to stay the same. I don't. And maybe the last one is just the spiritual disciplines. Is that a consistent in your life? And I'll just take two, Bible intake and prayer. If you're losing there, you will never mature in Christ. <laughs> Just won't do it. So take a minute and ask the question, so what, this morning?